You're listening to Heating Up the UK, a Miami Heat UK-based podcast. Here's your host, Dan Healy, also known as at the Miami Heat UK. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to episode 28 of Heating Up the UK, a Miami Heat UK-based podcast. I'm your host, Dan Healy, and uh, I'd like to appreciate everybody who's uh, listening to the podcast, uh, more and more uh, people listening each week, which is fantastic. If you use uh, Apple Podcasts as your favourite podcast provider, please do us a favour and just review if you enjoy the show. Uh, please send us a little review because that really helps us out. Um, but yeah, I really appreciate everyone for listening. Um, if you want to uh, follow us as well on uh, Twitter, we are at the Miami Heat UK. Same as over on Instagram at the Miami Heat UK. Same as over on Facebook at Miami Heat UK. And of course, the YouTube channel, which is Miami Heat UK TV. So if you like the content on there, please subscribe. New content coming every single week. On to today, and I'm delighted once again to be joined by David Remill from Locked on Heat podcast. David, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. Uh, excited to be covering the Heat basketball again. And of course, now that we're in the midst of a playoffs, it's been a, a fun watch. I'm really enjoying the team and how they're progressing. And uh, it's been great. Well, absolutely. I mean, I mean, well, since we last spoke, we was in the middle of lockdown and we was talking about, you know, whether we should even be coming back at all and the implications of that. And uh, what a fantastic job the NBA have done so far um, creating this uh, environment where we're watching uh, competitive basketball. Um, always going to be a little bit strange without without fans there, but great basketball. I don't really feel like the levels have dropped off at all from what I've seen. Um, and they've, they've created a great, safe environment for everybody to enjoy watching sport again. So before we come on to Miami stuff, would you echo those thoughts? Do you feel like this has been a success so far or, or is it always going to be that little bit strange with not having fans there? What have you been your thoughts so far on bubble well, NBA playoff? I mean, I think the games have been great, uh, at least from a, a viewership perspective. They've been very enjoyable. The, the fact that they are pumping in that crowd noise and everything else, it's I haven't really noticed much of a difference. It feels the product itself feels very similar to any game that we would normally watch during the regular season or playoffs. And the level of basketball has been very good, particularly on the offensive end. I think maybe you could say the defenses have struggled a little bit or have not been mm -hmm. adapting as quickly as the offenses have. Now, you know, given that everything that's happening around the country, I know there are some complaints or concerns, at least, and you know, very viable ones from players, whether or not maybe they shouldn't be in the bubble in the first place, kind of taking us back to our earlier conversation. But yeah. uh, I, I think everyone seems to be moving forward with the idea of continuing to play, using the playoffs as a platform to continue to speak out on these issues, and, and we'll see how it progresses. But as far as the level of play itself and you know, watching these games, it's all been very, very enjoyable. I think it's been great to kind of see the courts and, and of course, the virtual fan experience has been a very interesting one. And, and I, I've enjoyed it very much. I'm not sure how you have, but I, I feel yeah. it's been great. Very similar, again, to what a regular season game would be like. Yeah, definitely. And I think that um, obviously over over in the UK, our main sport is football or called soccer to, to the American listeners. And um, when that uh, came back, obviously, same sort of scenario, not as a bubble thing, but everybody coming back to, to complete their season and complete their fixture schedule. And it was always a little bit strange because 
obviously the thing is with with a, with a soccer match is that you really are relying on that crowd energy to see you through because the game slows down so much without that intensity and that adrenaline of of uh, of fan support there to drive you on so a lot of games were very mundane quite boring and we didn't really see that tempo that really gets going but with the NBA from what I've seen so far and and I don't see any it's only going to keep getting better I assume the deeper we go into the playoffs is it hasn't felt weird at all I mean okay yeah the playoff uh sorry the um the crowd noise being pumped in is sometimes a little bit off and you know <laughs> when a foul yeah. suddenly happens and it all cuts out suddenly so a little bit odd of that but I feel from from just pure as a a viewership point of view just watching the games the intensity um I, I don't feel like there's been any real difference so hats off to the NBA for for creating a, a really good spectacle so far um actually before we come on to anything uh heat related you did sort of touch on it a little bit there and we'll start with something that maybe if you're if it's okay with you david maybe a little bit of a, a serious matter with what's happened in very recent times um over in wisconsin and um there's been noises uh again um with nba players a bit unhappy uh, of the continued racial injustices that we we we, we see and hearing about over in the states and um there's talks of um you know Boston and Toronto maybe sitting out or postponing uh, their games and, and you know, whether or not they feel like at the moment basketball should be at the forefront of their thoughts. Um, we won't go too deep into it, but do you do you feel like if that was to happen, um, there would be, you know, that would be the right thing to do? Is there anything that, um, from your point of view, that you feel like it shouldn't maybe be up to athletes to sort this thing out? Or, or do you would you stand by, you know, that sort of... Uh, thought process of you know something's got to give and maybe this is a start to it i i would support any decision that the players would make because uh, obviously the league is mostly black and as black athletes they do have a powerful voice and the sport gives them a platform but it's up to them as individuals as to whether or not they want to continue playing the sport and whether or not they want to use that platform to change things and hopefully they can initiate some change moving forward I, I just don't know if i don't think they're really going to boycott games moving forward i think that there are legitimate concerns i know that some players have voiced some great frustration particularly george hill i think from the milwaukee bucks has really expressed how frustrated he's been that being from the wisconsin area that he can't be out there protesting and doing what he had been doing prior to entering the bubble so mm-hmm. i i understand why these players are expressing these concerns and this obvious frustration with a, a system that has been so hurtful and, and murderous to the people of color for such a long, long time. And so I, we also just before recording this uh, wrapped up a, a Zoom conference call with Andre Iguodala, who is, of course, part of the uh, the players union and him yeah. and Chris Paul met with a number of uh, it, they met with the Boston Celtics and Toronto Raptors uh, yesterday to address their issues and concerns and things of that sort. And I don't, I don't think he believes that there is going to be any boycotted games moving forward. So, uh, you know, I can't speak as to whether or not uh, it's the right decision because obviously I'm not in the same situation they are and I don't have the same platform, nor am I a black man in this country. Although I am a Latino, I am not uh, a person of color in the same way that they are. And so I, I, I hope that they make a decision that they feel comfortable moving forward. Uh, it's also hard for them to focus exclusively on basketball, knowing what's going on outside of the bubble. And so I understand why they would express some desire to perhaps boycott games altogether. 
yeah, no, I, I don't really need to add much more to that. I think that's very well summarised. And yeah, you'd like to think that whatever way that they feel most comfortable to do, they, they would have the backing of other players, other fans, other teams, because um, yeah, something's got to be done. That's the bottom line of it. So Absolutely. Uh, yeah, okay. Um, right on to uh, on to some on to some heat stuff, David. So what a uh, what a first round. Um, a sweep of the paces, uh, not just obviously the score, but the performance all the way through. I thought was, from my point of view, I thought was was brilliant. Um, I, I mean, b- before we get on to sort of then any sort of analysis, did you what what was your predictions of this of the heat paces series? Did you did what, did you call the sweep or did you have something a bit more uh, a bit more closer? No, I actually I thought it would be a six game series. I thought uh, yeah, Indiana same. would find a way to to steal a game or two based on their level of defense throughout the regular season and the fact that TJ Warren had been playing so well, I was not anticipating that he'd be limited as much as he was by Miami's defense. And I also did not expect Goran Dragic to have the incredible shooting performances that he did and to score at such a high level. So that uh, I did not foresee this happening. And uh, I, you know, I didn't also take into consideration that Indiana's defense, I'm sorry, Indiana's bench unit would be so bad. Like they had almost zero production out of their bench and were relying so heavily on their starting rotation that uh, it it was almost doomed from the start. Yeah, I I, I, totally agree with that. And um, I mean, before we get into into the the, the bench scoring and and just, I mean, a little bit, a little bit, uh, you know, for Indiana, no Sabonis, obviously big risk, a uh, bit big miss, sorry, and um, you know uh, Oladipo not entirely himself as well. So there are things that can be factored into this maybe, but yeah, T.J. Warren was incredible since coming when he came back into the bubble. He was sort of bubble MVP before the playoffs started. Um, there was this whole thing with him and Jimmy um, that uh, you know from from the regular season before we even got suspended, and then that came in, and Jimmy said that. You know, when to, when it comes to business, he he'll end up being a winner, and these words were backed up because, you know, T.J. Warren's a good player, and he was on great form, and Jimmy just locked him down, really, didn't he? So, uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of things that we can point to for towards the success uh, of of Miami's performances uh, to get this sweep through the first round. But in my opinion, and I'd be uh, interested to hear your take on it. What did you feel about the um, the uh, uh, change the tweak to the starting five because you know to, to take out the guys well two guys really that have been in the lineup all the way through the season in first of all Myers Leonard who didn't really come back at all since coming back to the bubble but most importantly Kendrick Nunn who was back and still starting um, but once the playoff started it was um, it was the change was made that he was now going to be a bench role player and at that you know, even a, a sort of ninth or even tenth man player, so not really in the rotation at all uh, until last night, which uh, sorry, last time out, which we'll come on to in a minute. But of course, taking his spot was uh, the veteran, and you know, been there, done it, uh, bought the t-shirt. What a player, Goran Dragic, and what a switch that was. I mean, did, do you did, was you for this uh, this move, or did you did you feel a little bit hard done by for Kendrick, and was you maybe feeling like? He should still get his chance with, with starting the lineup. They've been so successful all through the season. With that happening, with Goran coming off the bench and running that second unit, or did you feel that when that change was made, you thought, "Yeah, this is this is the, what needs to happen"? Where did you sit on it? I, I uh, actually did think that Goran would be starting the series. I, I, I before the series, I, I not necessarily predicted, but my feeling was that Goran would continue to be used as the starting rotation player because Eric Spolstra just has such immense. 
faith and trust in him. And to be honest, that faith was absolutely rewarded by his performances over the four games against Indiana. So uh, I was not surprised to see Kendrick stuck to the bench. I was, um, I did not think that Myers Leonard would get any playing time either. So I, I unfortunately predicted that one as well, okay. just based on what we had seen during the eight seeding games where he was taken out of the rotation. And, and yeah. look, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, when you look at, what Indiana is able to do, they do have problems moving the ball. Um, you could put some of the blame on Nate McMillan or some of the blame on the players themselves. But either way, they don't have much creativity in terms of their offense versus Miami, who continuously moves the ball, constant passing, constant use of guards as screeners, moving the ball back and forth and, and constant rotations as you know as they're going around multiple screens or back cuts and things of that sort. And, and so there's none of that dynamic change to indiana's offense but miami's defense then you want to have players that are switchable that can move and rotate quickly on defense and that's why a player like jay crowder makes so much sense over a guy like myers leonard who's pretty stationary as, as a seven footer and not you know does not possess the same kind of lateral mobility that a crowder does and so that leaves bam crowder as a roaming type defender where he can kind of mm. He can help on defense on the perimeter, or we saw multiple times against the Pacers where they had pick-and-roll situations where he would pick up Malcolm Brogdon defensively. I mean, what center in the league feels comfortable getting a, a ball handler like Brogdon and yeah. shutting him down, effectively limiting him to you know getting a, a good look at the basket? So um, that's where you want it. That's one of the strengths of Miami's defense. It's one of the strengths of their personnel and their rosters. You want to make sure you maximize that. Myers takes that away because he is so one-dimensional yeah. as a defender. He can stay on with your bigger centers, but you know, maybe your slower type players. But as a pick and roll defender, he's going to get picked, he's going to get victimized every time. So that made a lot of sense. And as far as Kendrick is concerned, I mean, he hadn't been doing much. And I know yeah. the report was that he was still dealing with symptoms of COVID. I don't know that I put a lot of stock in those. I think it was just overall uh, an issue with his level of play, like. Kendrick is a very good scorer. That is the strength of his game. He is not a great defender, and he is also not a great playmaker. And if you're going to sacrifice that playmaking and, def and defense for a, a shoot-first player who wasn't shooting particularly well during the eight seeding games, it makes mm -hmm. sense to go with your veteran like Dragic. And so that's why I thought Dragic would start. And again, he played a significant role, was a key part of, of all four victories uh, for Miami, scoring over 20 points per game. So he was a huge factor for the Heat. And it was nice to see Kendrick get uh, some minutes in game four and contribute as a scorer, which again, that's the strength of his game. So mm -hmm. why not maximize that and use him as effectively as possible? Yeah, it's completely. And, um, you know, it was great to see Kendrick get some minutes. And um, to be fair to him, he actually, as I said, he scored, he assisted, he actually defended pretty well as well. So it's almost like Absolutely. he had a bit of a point to prove. So uh, good to see um, him getting some minutes. And I think that at the moment, I think, you know, you look at what was so successful earlier on in the season with Kendrick in uh, at the point and then um, obviously uh, Leonard next to, to Bam, it worked very well and you keep with what's working. And now, you know, we, obviously we didn't have Crowder and Iguodala earlier on in the season and we, we was very successful during that time, but now we've got some different pieces and I just felt like, it, as I said, it seemed like that's suddenly it's all clicked into place. Those moves have been made and we, we look a different animal now. And I feel like, you know, we've got that perfect balance of very good elite wing defenders, some obviously great shooters, some great energy. We've got youthful um, 
uh, exuberance. We've got veteran knowledge and we've got players that every single one of them, when even when you look down to the ninth man with players like um, Kendrick Nunn and Derek Jones and maybe even yeah, um, you know, uh, Myers occasionally, they'll be able to rotate those ninth man minutes and all of them do a job. So it's uh, it's suddenly looking very locked in, very switched, uh, switched on for, for the Heat, which is incredibly exciting and a big reason why we took uh, took, took this series with ease. Um, before we get on to the Bucks, another word on Dragic because I've been so impressed with him. Um, you see these, uh, not just obviously his performance, but you see these clips of uh, you've probably all seen them on um, on social media with where he's he's you know rallying around everybody is is getting groups together he's giving advice he's putting his arm around people have you ever seen um uh, Goran Dragic enjoy his basketball as much as he's doing right now not since uh, his moment with the Slovenian national team a few years ago when they won the Eurobasket tournament I mean I think that's uh in the heat it's been such a a slow evolution for him. I remember, I can't exactly recall now off the top of my head. I did a feature on him in 2018, I want to say, and I had talked to him about that evolving role. And he he confided in me and told me, look, it's, it's been a difficult process in that locker room for no other reason than because he is not a native English speaker. And as an international player, it's been a little difficult to kind of work his way in there, but he's proven over time. I mean, you look back now, he's been with his franchise since 2015. He is mm-hmm. as long tenured a player as any here other than Udonis Haslam, who has been here obviously for 17 seasons. So that that's a whole different story. But with Dragic, he's been here longest. He's been here and played alongside Hall of Fame level greats like Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade and everybody else on this roster. And he's, he's been here through everything through the last few years. And he's finally felt comfortable enough to be a more vocal leader on the floor and in the locker room. And it's been great to see that evolution. I have never seen him feel so comfortable. So you bring up a good point there that he's made a huge transition. Yeah, and also just a hats off to him for his attitude as well, because this was a guy who was a starter. You know, he's earning big money, um, a starter, and he basically got told uh, before the season started that he was going to be coming off the bench and it was going to be a rookie, an undrafted rookie that was coming in to take his place. And a lot of people, um, you know, uh, hint to uh, Dion Waiters, there were a lot of people that, for the same um, things that they were told, would have took that the wrong way. But he always he said when he got told that information by Spo was, OK, well, that's my role. I'm going to be the sixth man of the year. That was his attitude, you know, and he's come in he's had a great relationship with Jimmy Butler they get on like a house on fire and it just seems like um yeah he's just he's just he's just a blessing to be able to watch him and now that he's thriving again in the starting five um yeah it's just a massive tip of the hat from me for for, for Goran Dragic and uh it's exciting it's exciting so uh well done well done Goran so if you're gonna let's let's just do a couple of grades so uh grading Goran Dragic for me over that series was an A plus would you go any further than that? No, any further, I, I think, would you agree no. with that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think uh, you nailed it there. Good, good. Okay, uh, Jimmy Butler grading. That's a little tougher. Um, you know, obviously he had a couple clutch shots from beyond the arc, and uh, he looked really, really good for the most part. Uh, defensively, he was as good as possible, and then of mm-hmm. course his his game four performance was hindered by injury, so it's kind of hard to grade him. I'd say A not a plus just because the expectation for him was that his offense would click in in a way it did not against the Pacers, but he was still able to control the game by virtue of drawing contact as much as he did. You look to those 20 free throw attempts in game three that really 
changed the game completely when Indiana was playing with a level of desperation they had not through the first two games. Jimmy was the difference maker in that he was able to slow things down, draw contact, get their key players in foul trouble, and so it worked so well for Miami. And, uh, I mean, you love everything that Jimmy can do outside of his offense. Obviously going to be creating plays for others, and he's playing defense at such a high level, as I mentioned. Not to mention also his his leadership abilities, but offensively you had hoped for a little bit more. You didn't see it either way. Still a very very great player, so I I give him the A. Yeah, I think that's fair, and uh, yeah, there is I think there is still an, another level maybe on the offensive side, but it's just his presence. I mean, it, it, just having him on the court is is what makes him what he is, and uh, he settles everything down. He, he he just knows he's got that experience. He's obviously an incredible defensive player, and it just just having him on the court just makes you uh, make, makes you feel confident in what the Heat are going to be doing. Um, going now down to the youthful side of it, Tyler. Hero. This is a guy who's playing his first playoff series. Um, he was asked uh, in meet one of the post-match conferences of, you know, does he feel the pressure of the fact that he's, you know, playing in um, playoff basketball now, and does he think about his shots, and does he, you know, does he worry? Does that expectation get to him? And he just quite clearly answered no. You know, so it just shows you how this guy is wired. Um, I mean, I mean. I think he's averaging sort of higher teams a game. And again, it just seems like he he thrives on this sort of thing. It, it just doesn't seem to get rattled by anything at the moment. Would you, do you think that Tyler's uh, game has, has gone up a notch since uh, um, uh, the regular season's finished? And do you think that he's not, he's not, he's still got, you know, a bit more of a ceiling to go yet? Well, that's, that's tough to answer. Uh, I think, He's been able to use the time off as well as anybody. I, I spoke to his trainer here in South Florida, who is a, a great, a well-known and well-regarded shooting coach. And he's just, he is, like everybody, so continuously impressed by Tyler Hero and his work ethic and his dedication that for a player his age, you rarely see this kind of constant need to improve himself. And so you knew that he was going to take a step up. And I think somebody else had brought up this point, and maybe not necessarily about Tyler, but another player, but that during the past five months or whatever since the season ended, he's used it as almost uh, like an offseason, an opportunity to continue to grow and add something to his game and, and work at another level. And so I think we saw a comfort level from Tyler that we not, did not necessarily see during the first few games of the season before the, the hiatus in, in March. So I think offensively, he's been very good. He feels much more comfortable Again, attacking the basket, putting up shots over defenders, creating opportunities for others as a result of his, his dribble. And, you know, he's been very, very good defensively. And Spolstra has said this a few times, you know, he obviously has another level to reach. And so the, if you're going to knock Tyler in his overall game, it's that defensively there are still some concerns there about his ability to guard at the point of attack and things of that sort. Offensively, he's been very, very good and has impressed me so much with his ability to stay calm, as you mentioned, in clutch situations and key mm -hmm. moments of the game. For a 20-year-old rookie, that is unbelievable. Yeah. He, he has such a bright future, and, and he has, he's felt so comfortable and, and been willing to take shots and do everything necessary, and I think he's just going to continue to improve throughout the playoffs. Yeah, he's such an exciting player to watch. He just gets you, uh, gets your feet. It's just, uh, it's a joy to watch him. I mean, when you look at his draft class, I think he was drafted at, uh, at 13. Um, and when you look at, um, obviously, Zion, Jamarant, they're the obvious two that if you was to redraft today, you would still obviously take. But there'd be a serious case to say that you probably would be looking at Tyler Harrow as, as the next one after that. Uh, would you agree with that? Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I, I just made this uh, point well, on another podcast, too. It was uh, if you look 
if you look at this next upcoming draft, I mean, would there be any player that you'd rather select over Tyler Hero? I think he could mm-hmm. make a case that Hero would be the first pick in the upcoming draft, and he was the 13th just a year ago. So very impressive, uh, the amount of work he's put in and the fact that he's been able to live up to, I'm sorry, not even live up, exceed whatever expectations we had of him. Yeah, definitely. Okay, right, let's come on to the next series then, which, barring a miracle, is going to be against the Milwaukee Bucks. Now, um, they're about to tip off in game five, so this will probably be it, although uh, we, we wouldn't mind a favour off of uh, Orlando because every game that they take is more rest for the heat. But um, likelihood is, yep, we're going to be playing Milwaukee. Now, obviously, number one seed for a reason. Very good team. 60-win um, game season. Uh, all of the rest of it. MP, uh, reigning MVP player. Going to be it again in Giannis. Um but we have got their number so far this season, a winning record against them, two and one. We can defend them pretty well. We've shown that so far as well. What's going to be the keys to success um, for Miami getting, shall I say getting through? Yeah, let's say, let's say, what's the keys to success for Miami getting through the Bucks into the Eastern Conference Finals? Well, I mean, no secret here, trying to limit Adetokounmpo. That's that's the key to everything. And I, I mean, I, that's obvious. At the same time, Miami does have, as you hinted, the personnel to kind of do this, and they've done it during the course of the regular season. It's the reason why you acquired Jay Crowder and Andre Iguodala is that you have two more switchable defenders to add to Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, Derek Jones Jr. to some extent. Guys that can go in there and make things a little bit more difficult for Adetokounmpo as he gets downhill and gets to the rim with such ease. And so if you can limit his ability to do that. And you're not going to stop him outright because he is a superstar player. You just want to keep him to a very inefficient 20, 25 points per game. And if that's the case, you're not putting him on the line. You're keeping him from knocking down those shots. Uh, You don't want him to get that perimeter game going where he starts to feel a little comfortable and he starts taking those shots with with a a level of confidence that he should not have. Uh, That just makes things easier for everybody else on the Bucks team. And so you want to be able to limit what Adetokounmpo does, and then that'll have a, a trickle-down effect where you see guys like Middleton, Lopez, and, and to some extent Wes Matthews and others have to step up in his absence. So uh, I think, you know, it, it's it's pretty simple, but you limit Adetokounmpo and you hope everybody else can hurt you. That's You, you want to be able to, to you know, stop Adetokounmpo from being the one who does most of the damage. Yeah, and I think that, you know, it's an obvious thing to say because you you look at the fact that, you, as you just said, you're never going to stop the arguably the best player in the league. You've just got to try and stop the bleeding and just try and do the as good as you can and try and moderate him. Um, and obviously, quite rightly, all the focus is on Giannis. But, you know, the, you've got players like Middleton, max contract money, and, um, yeah, you've got Lopez and you've got some shooters there with Korver and Ilya Sova, etc., um, some you know you've you've got to do a job on these guys too, right? You know these are good players, and you think that you can't all just rest on you know Milwaukee relying on their on their um, on their best player. Uh, so if you said that okay, you, you build the wall and you stop Giannis, and you've still got to do some work on the rest of this team, though, haven't you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean Middleton in particular is a pretty underappreciated player. I'm I'm not sure about your thoughts on him, but over, if you look at, if you spend any time on uh, basketball Twitter, he's a pretty divisive player just because I think he is so underappreciated for years. He's been kind of under the radar, even though he's been an all-star selection on a couple of occasions, but he's just a very, very good shooter, very good defender, a guy who you can count on most of the time to be very, very productive. However, he has struggled during the postseason, and I think that's another huge thing that Miami will hope to be able to implement is keeping 
Middleton from getting hot because if he does start to feel that range a little bit, he will be a very deadly shooter. So you don't want him to be making mm. uh, any kind of huge impact from behind the perimeter either. So you keep Kumpo away from the rim and keep uh, Middleton away from knocking down those shots from beyond the arc. I, easier said than done. Nobody during the regular season was able to do it, or at least nobody was able to do it as effectively as Miami. So hopefully that'll translate as well. And and then you also have to look at the coaching situation. I know you haven't brought it up yet, but Eric Spolstra, his willingness to make changes to be able to implement yeah. different lineups that's something that Mike Budenholzer has not been able to do very effectively and not willing to do during the playoffs not just this season but before and that's been a knock on Budenholzer's coaching ability is his inflexibility and so you hope that you have a clear advantage with Spolstra and being able to make those changes and, and we'll see whether or not that means tweaking the starting lineup or bringing in another player off the bench that might be able to change things around. Yeah, that's a really good point, actually. And uh, yeah, I think that um, we're, we're obviously one of the main Arsenal and something that does get sometimes overlooked is the fact that we have got a coach who can who can recognise and spot these things and work the way. You know, you, if you're going to if you're going to beat Miami in, in seven games, then you're going to have to work for it because one, we have got the plan personnel, we've got the attitude, we've got the culture, but we've also got that that coach who just who can see where things need to weaken and needs to go wrong so this is why I'm quietly confident about this series because I said the other day I put it out on my Twitter feed when uh, when we beat the Pacers that you know one thing that I liked about the um, the last win that we had against Indiana was that Duncan Robertson was way off with his shooting um, yes. Jimmy Butler got hurt and missed most of the first half yet we still had um, players like Kelly Olynyk, of course Goran Dragic Tyler Harrow they all stepped up and they did a job. And this is like, and we've then got you know players like Crowder and Iguodala, who box scores might not never shoot off the you know the stats might never got light up, but you you see what they can do and what they're there to do. And I just look at this perfect blend at the moment. I know it's always very easy to say this when we're winning and we've just come off of a sweep, but I look at this perfect blend of we 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 don't require our star man to go off like the Bucks will have to. Um, we've got a lot of different guys that can make a difference. Add that to a good defensive team, uh, a lot of shooting and a well-coached side. And you're going to struggle to beat Miami over seven series, uh, seven game series. So I'm quietly confident and um, I'm getting a little bit bullish about it. Let's have some predictions from you, David. What do we think over this series against the Bucks? What are we saying? You know, that was so well said, Dan. You, you completely sold me on it. You know, I, I just I, I'm starting to feel very confident about their chances as well, because you did really put it well. I mean, look, I, I remember talking to Myers Leonard back in April and he mentioned the same thing about how this team is just so complete from his perspective. They have the defense, they have the scoring guys that can get to the rim or get to the free throw line, the coaching, everything they have. They are such a well put together, well balanced team. And you really did see that against the Pacers, even though ultimately I don't think they played as well as they could. I would expect them to, to reach another level, and perhaps we'll see it against the Bucks. Look, you have to give credit to Milwaukee. They're very good. Obviously, if you're going to look at any holes in their defense that you can exploit, and they have two very good defenders, specifically in Adetokounmpo and Brooke Lopez, who protects the rim very well and does a great job. Uh, but Middleton, obviously a very good defender. Wes Matthews, a solid defender, even at this point in his career. Bledsoe, et cetera. They do give up a lot of three-point shots. That's by design. They're going to be trying to target Duncan Robinson and limiting what he can do. And we've yeah. seen that Robinson is a key point for Miami's offense uh, because, you know, obviously when he has that shot falling – they have to send multiple defenders to kind of limit what he can do. And then that makes things easier for other players to get open looks or get to the rim with ease. 
but we also saw in games one and four specifically where Duncan was off, and you brought this up, you know, he's still able to make an impact in other ways. He's mm-hmm. being able to set screens or get to the rim or, again, just use that gravity that he has as an offensive player to draw multiple defenders. And, and so... I think that skews in Miami's favor. I, I like their ability to be able to get past Milwaukee's defense because they have such great shooting. I also think that maybe we could see Myers Leonard be inserted into that starting lineup oh. as a guy who can spread the floor a little bit. Either him or Olenek, I think, could get some significant uh, boost in their playing time because they do space the floor. And that'll take Lopez away from the rim. So when you give, when you take into consideration Miami's depth, Miami's coaching, and everything else, ah. Uh, I'm going to go Heat in six. I, I just – I, it's tough because, I mean, the seven-game series, a lot of that breaks down to teams traveling either home or away and, and the kind mm-hmm. of energy that shifts. There is no shifting energy. There's nothing that you can build off of. You know, there's no crowd to kind of get you up to. There's no refereeing that's going to be uh, at the mercy of the crowd noise or screaming or things of that sort. It's going to be the same quiet that you've experienced throughout the rest of the bubble. And Miami just seems a little bit – better equipped to handle that. I think uh, Adetokounmpo thrives on the energy of the Milwaukee-based crowd, and he's not going to have that. And so I I like Miami's chances. I really do. I think they're a well-coached, well-put-together team. I I think Heat and six. Completely agree. Yes. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you look at the teams that have come back, and especially since the playoff has started, you've got the teams that just look locked in and the Heat are one of those, Toronto are one of those, Boston are one of those. At the moment, I don't really think the Bucks are one of those. I think that they're, they're stuttering a little bit and um, I know it's only the first round, but they won't be looking forward to this at all. So, yeah, let's uh, let's put an X on the line. Heat in six. There we go. Um, right, David, before you go, just want to have a quick chat about Bam Adebayo and the fact that he has just finished uh, in fifth place in Defensive Player of the Year rating behind uh, Giannis, Rudy Gobert, Ben Simmons, and I forget the last one. Um, Anthony oh, Davis. I can't remember it. Well done, Anthony Davis, yes. So fifth place. That's about right, would you feel? Yeah, that's a elite level competition there. So, I mean, it's certainly a, a good group. I mean, it, it's tough to say that he doesn't put up the same kind of numbers and he's not the same kind of defender, defensive player as a Rudy Gobert, he's not going to block the kind of shots that Gobert mm. does or that Davis does. He's just, he's more of a help defender and he certainly makes things much easier for everybody else in Miami's roster. So I, I think that's fair. I think we could start to see him trending upwards throughout the rest of his career as far as, mm. you know, getting close to that one spot because he, he does make a huge impact. And a lot of the buzz about Adetokounmpo is the fact that they had a, a team best defense. But I mean, with a guy like Lopez being as good as he is, he's not a guy who got a lot of respect from voters. And that's mm. that's more indicative of the fact that you didn't watch this team a lot, that you didn't recognize how important Lopez was to Milwaukee's great defense. You can put a lot of that out of Decumpo, and that's not knocking him at all. He is very, very good as an individual defender, but their team defense behind Adetokounmpo and Lopez is very, very good. And you can make the same case for Adebayo, too, but I, I like I like Bam, his versatility, his ability to guard multiple ball handlers. I just, I cannot get past that as a center. He is doing everything where he can, he can guard big men. He can guard the biggest centers, like a Joel Embiid, and at the same time, pick up a, a, a Steph Curry with the same level of comfort. That's unbelievable. 
Yeah, um, you know, I wouldn't swap him for anybody in the league in that position at the moment. I think that for a guy who is using, this is his first year as a starter and already, yeah, fifth place amongst elite players there, uh, as we've just said. Um, also, he's picked up in his first year um, a um, skills champion trophy. And then, of course, he's about to add to that an NBA title. So, uh, <laughs> so, uh, so it's not. Are you really bad. putting your neck on the line here? You, this is a bold <laughs> well, show for you. <laughs> we've gone for it, so we might as well carry on with the movement. So, uh, yeah, no, uh, massive, massive band fan, and uh, his ceiling will only keep getting higher. So, uh, well done, well done, Mr. Adebayo. Been brilliant so far, and uh, keep, keep it going. So, David, really appreciate you joining me today. Um, enjoy it, the series versus the Bucks. We'll talk again soon, hopefully. Uh, maybe before the season's out, but we'll see what happens um, and how far we go. Uh, before you go, um, where can everybody find you? Oh, just look for me on Twitter at dramil13, and that's D-R-A-M-I-L-13, or via at Locked on Heat. That's a, a good opportunity to listen to my own thoughts and my podcast about the Heat, which we'll be putting out pretty daily. So uh, we'll be covering all the Bucks games and talking to some Milwaukee-based reporters and uh, about the Bucks over the next few games to preview that series. So definitely look forward to that. Yeah, absolutely. Can't recommend that enough. Everybody go and check that out, please. Uh, David, thank you for joining me. And uh, we will see we will see you all soon, guys. I hope you enjoy it. The series versus the Bucks. Let's go. Heat in six.